In this week's show, Brian Dunning returns to discuss fascinating topics like he did in his last interview with us. The founder of the website Skeptoid, Critical Analysis of Pop Phenomena, Brian has a number of posts and audio recordings about different subjects such as pseudoscience, urban myths, consumer affairs, and health fads. The topic we are discussing today is the vast number of false flag conspiracy theories out there. Can you define what a false flag theory is for us, Brian? Sure. A, a false flag operation, first, hello everyone. Second, a false flag operation is when the government stages something to make it look like it was done by a disgruntled citizen. For example, a very popular one these days is the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory. Uh, Sandy Hook was a was a school where the person went in and shot a bunch of students, and the Sandy Hook conspiracy theorists believe that this was a false flag operation where the U.S. government actually sent a shooter in here uh, and, and killed all the people, trying to make it look like it was done by a person. That's the basic idea. Some people say, well, when there's a mass shooting, we need to look at the mental health problems that person had, or we need to look at uh, the policies that allow them to get the guns, or we need to look at better security wherever they're at. So there's a lot of other things related to that. But going back to false flag conspiracies, uh, didn't the Nazis and the Russian army actually perform some false flag things to get the war going um, during those time periods? In intelligence agencies are doing them all the time, especially during warfare, creating, not actually doing things and creating stories about things, horrible things being done. Um, propaganda to make it look like the enemy is much worse than they are. As I was doing research for the show, I found uh, something that said that uh, right before World War II and the invasion of Poland by the Nazis, they took uh, a bunch of prisoners, dressed them up as uh, Nazi soldiers or German soldiers, and had the Gestapo shoot at them, pretending to be the Polish army, and then they used that to use it as an excuse to invade Poland. Have you heard about that one? I, I hadn't heard that specific story, but it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if something like that happened. You know, wartime is different from peacetime. A lot goes on in wartime. Uh, because there's easy cover, which is an active shooting war going on. In peacetime, it's not so easy to cover up a false flag operation, and you know, they don't really happen to any meaningful degree. I hadn't heard that particular story, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that, there's, um, that it's true. I also wouldn't be surprised to learn that it was false propaganda. There's also a story about how um, during the... I guess, mi missile crisis and the conflict with Cuba that there was a operative in the U.S. government that wanted to do false flag uh, conflicts and to, um, to justify invading Cuba and that President JFK uh, turned him down. And the only way we found out about that was after the, his assassination, they started digging and they found it. And then, you know, it looked good on JFK that he wasn't willing to uh, Steve Dallow to start a war with Cuba. When we start uncovering those type of things, people wonder, well, if they were willing to do it back then, what would stop the, the U.S. government to do it now? Well, yeah, and that's that sounds superficially like a fine argument uh, in, in favor of, hey, false flag things must be happening every day. But the fact that someone discussed it and planned it but didn't carry it out is very different from saying that it is happening currently. 
you know, there's people are always talking about and planning things. That happens every day. Heck, I've thought about, gee, how would I rob this bank if I was inclined to do so? And, and that's that's very different from from it actually happening in the real world and, and people being able to get away with it. So I, I would caution people who look at stories of plans being discovered or it being discovered that it would have been in someone's best interest for this to happen, et cetera, et cetera. I would caution people from using that as evidence that it probably is actively happening today because that's a huge difference. So then, you know, the logical uh, follow-up for me is that if you believe that the country you live in, the leaders uh, that you elected, and the people that you surround yourself with are capable of supporting this, allowing it to happen, uh, turning the other way, or whatever else, for all these horrible things to keep happening, how can you live with yourself? How can you be part of society if you feel that people are capable of, of horrendous evil things? And when I was discussing that this with a friend, he said, well, it's not that people are evil, but they're misguided. But I think that if they are planning 9-11 and all kinds of um, horrible things, why um, participate or, or be involved or be around to see all that happen right before your eyes? Well, let, let me, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. And let me, let me pose a hypothetical situation. What if the government in, you know, sent uh, some military unit to your town and rounded up 3,000 people from your town and executed them in the town square with machine guns? A completely innocent people and just did this in plain view and there was no secret that it happened. Do you think it would be reasonable for you and anyone else and or anyone else in town to immediately take up arms against that government force? Serious question. I mean, would you expect to see that happen? Well, okay, let's say that, that the 3,000 people that they rounded up included your, your family, and you see them being dragged away, put into this ring, and have machine guns opened up on them. Wouldn't you feel compelled, gee, maybe I'd rather, better rather go get my sh shotgun and see if I can you know, protect my family? It's going to happen. It would happen. People would openly rise up against that force to some degree or other. And you're right, it would be terribly bloody and horrible. But, so I, I, I point this back to the people who believe 9-11 was a false flag operation carried out by the United States government. If the United States government murdered 3,000 people right there in plain view in front of everyone, then why aren't you right now taking up arms and attacking the government? Because you can't have it both ways. If the government is actively killing Americans, you should be actively fighting against that government, and not just voting against them, but actively taking up arms against them, because it's now a matter of immediate life and death. See, but this is where, um, you know, this is a, a show that, that plays on on the air in a big city, and the reason that, that we're discussing this very controversial subject is because it's fun to see Patrick Swayze do that in movies from the 80s. It's a lot of verbiage to go around saying that uh, there's a one-world government and everybody's taking over, but I'm talking about the, the ramifications of these ideas, and like you just mentioned, there are people who believe this kind of stuff, and they follow through with it so our job as, as communicators and as uh, rational people is to point to the fallacies of these arguments and to bring people back to reality that if things were that bad the whole country would collapse and there would be ongoing conflict so for people to sit back behind their computers and start making all kinds of allegations 
that's in the comfort of their homes. People from other countries don't have the energy to com be coming up with conspiracy theories because they're worried about feeding their families. So is there like this type of privilege of uh, living in a in a first world country where we can come up with all kinds of crazy ideas and, and not be accountable to society? Yeah, yeah. And when we live in such comfort and have so many of our problems taken care of by the fact that we live in this great first world country and luxuries are affordable and and everyone nobody goes hungry and things are generally great uh, we tend to invent enemies we tend to invent problems uh, that's one reason why there is a lot of belief in conspiracy theories among first world countries uh, and much less among third world countries because they have real concrete problems to worry about what you're describing is also the the logical next step in the scenario I was just proposing, that if if the government's out there killing people, then someone would be rising up against the government. And the fact that we see we don't see that happening is pretty good evidence that that's not what happened. A lot of people don't necessarily believe that. I think the people who are saying 9-11 was a false flag, their their statement is largely motivated not by actual belief but by this whole the, the whole structure of reasons that conspiracy theories are popular um, and we just talked about one because you're otherwise comfortable you have to invent enemies and that's an easy way to do it and then there's the whole the philosophy of behind conspiratorial belief that 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 we discussed last time the what we see of conspiracy theory belief in the united states is much more consistent with a world where these conspiracies are not actually happening. At the same time, I believe that uh, putting your attention on all these secret rooms and secret people and those type of conspiracies takes away from the real problems and the real issues that I believe us as human beings should be, get involved in, uh, like poverty and abuse and real war and real conflict. So do you think that it's a type of paranoia also? Like we've seen politicians use the paranoia for the purposes, but is there something also in not being able to, to get a hold of, of life and what's going on and, and start shooting crazy ideas everywhere to kind of see what sticks or what actually takes hold in, in people's minds as part of this? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know that, uh, that, conspiratorial thinking takes away from from uh, charitable work that that might otherwise be taking place you know it's still a fringy thing and a lot of people more people than you think have some belief in conspiracy theories but it's not something they take actively that governs how they go through their day a lot of people will say something like oh yeah i think the drug companies are probably withholding the cure for cancer but it's not going to affect the way they go through their day or the decisions they make in their daily life. I don't necessarily think that it has a much of an impact on the uh, the, the domestic gross product or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm probably not answering your question very well. But let's get back to 9/11. So on your website, I saw you debating people that talk about can metal really melt at those temperatures, and they go back and they say, "Well, you know." How do you know? And they use, um, I guess, what you would say, uh, fallacious or arguments. Fallacious logic. Yeah. So we talked last time about how there's a point where you can't really use logic with certain people. For the rest of us, what are the things that, that we know of that 
uh, point to it being what it was, um, an attack from a, a foreign terrorist group, and that it happened, the, the collapse of the towers and all that was, was a natural uh, ramification of, of the planes going in. Talk about the, the temperature at which steel melts and all of this stuff. What you're doing is you're focusing on tiny details and ignoring the gigantic obvious details because the gigantic obvious details do not support the idea that this was a you know secret government conspiracy theory so people tend to focus on little tiny details and look for little strange inconsistencies and things like that probably all have explanations but they're ignoring the giant questions and the giant questions are what i think people should be focusing on for example the fact that bin laden freely admitted that he planned this and we have every shred of evidence we know everything that happened leading up to the planning and the financing and who did it and and who was where and and it was completely consistent with uh, what that group's political motivations were uh, everything that happened happened literally on camera as everyone in the world was watching it. It's kind of hard to ignore those details. And so the, the, the conspiracy theorists, the people who are just ideologically motivated to find something wrong with this narrative, they have to ignore everything that was obvious and they have to dig down and look at this. What temperature does this particular metal melt at? And, and what kind of chemical signature would this particular explosive leave? Things like this that are just, it's just silly. It's a waste of your time. It's like, you know, they're always telling us, wake up, sheeple. You know, I just want to slap some of these guys and say, would you open your eyes a little bit and, you know, smell the roses of what happened on that day? But, but to our audience, um, we're trying to find, like, alternatives to the alternatives. So, well, okay, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to encourage people to read up on what temperature steel melts when it's in a fire, fire fueled by jet fuel because that's missing the point. That's, again... That's ignoring the big evidence and going after the tiny, insignificant, minutia evidence. But the overall issue that I have with this and other conspiracies, and this, this show was prompted from a post on Facebook where it was pretty much saying that everything was a false flag. Like you said, Sandy Hook, the 9-11, then they started going down, um, uh, shooting, like all kinds of things that have been happening in the news was a false flag. And I knew it was a bunk post because... It was kind of like it's kind of like the thing where you believe something and you go backtrack and try to make it fit to your theory. So that's my problem with false flag conspiracies. But the heart of the matter for me is again, uh, if there are people orchestrating this and there's this fear that that is so secretive, what about the real uh, terror groups like you said with Bin Laden and in Groups like that, where they're they they're very open about uh, wanting to hurt uh, innocent victims and and wanting to use terror to um, affect um, the reactions of different governments and stuff like that. To me, that's that's something that, like you said, is out in the open. So why go looking for things that are hidden when, like most conspiracy theories that we've spoken about, the reason that there is no evidence for the conspiracy is because it's hidden and that there's a vast group of people trying to keep it hidden. So again, how do we get people to start thinking about the the problematic nature of those type of uh, claims? You mentioned the thought process that 
conspiracy theorists when they're when they have a preferred explanation of false flag attack. And when I say they have a preferred explanation, that means exactly what it sounds as. They want these things to be false flags. They look at the Gulf of Tonkin from the Vietnam War in the 1960s. They look at things in history that they want to be false flag attacks because this appeals to them at, at a deeply organic level. They start from the preferred explanation and they work backwards trying to collect little bits of evidence that they feel supports that. If you work forwards, if you were to say, hey, what happened at the Gulf of Tonkin? And you look at the historical record and you see what was known when and you read all the different sources, who knew what and when did they know it and what was determined and what happened? There's no way you're going to do real research like that and conclude, oh, it was a false flag attack you're going to find out what actually happened if you do real research. The only way that you can conclude a conspiracy theory was some false flag attack is if you do the scientific method exactly backwards and start from your preferred conclusion and work backwards looking to support it. I know it's a little bit off topic, but um, have you done any uh, reports on the Illuminati and the obsession with that? Because... I just, I'm tired every time that um, a famous person dies, they, they were Illuminati and the Illuminati got them. You know, it just keeps going. In the 520-something episodes I've done of my show, I've not yet done an episode specifically on the Illuminati. I've mentioned them at least 100 times. And the reason I haven't is because it's such a vague claim. You know, if you talk about the Bilderberg group, well, let me give a just a quick 30-second description of the Bilderbergers. This is, this is a group of guys from a certain group of Western Bloc countries who for, I think, about 40 years now, 40 or 50 years since the Cold War started, they've been having an annual meeting. There's a core group of a, a number of people, and then they invite most of the conference attendees each year, invited leaders from industry, business, military, government, entertainment, arts, and... Uh, so they, since this is a group of powerful people who meet once a year, it's a private meeting. It's a private conference. You know, you don't get invited. You don't pay. You don't get to go. So for some reason, people have decided that, oh, this is probably the New World Order planning global domination. So there's a whole lot of conspiracy theories about the Bilderbergers, as they're called. Now, the Bilderbergers are something that's definable and that's known. You know, they've got a website. You can see a list of who attends the, the conference topics that are being presented and everything. Um, conversely, the Illuminati are extremely vague. There is no such group that you can point to. You can't say, oh, the Illuminati meet once a year in Switzerland or something like that. It's just kind of stories and vague mentions of these mysterious people who somehow control the world. So I've never really been able to do an episode um, of my podcast about the Illuminati just because there's not enough that's specific to talk about. The same blog that uh, got me going with the last show that we did together about how the Jews were trying to take over the world, they could replace the Jews with the Illuminati or with the American government. I even saw one where they were saying that the Catholic Jesuits and the Jews were working together with the Masons. And it's like groups that don't like each other are supposed to be uh, preparing the one world government. Do you think any of it has to do with this um, apocalyptic worldview that, that some religious groups have and they're trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist and his followers? Uh, you know, yeah, but not in every case. You know, it's, it's, it's different for... Pretty much every conspiracy theorist 
brings his own unique angle and his own reasons and his own history behind his thought process that led him to believe his particular version of of these events. Put your um, your process of thinking to the test. Um, so if you're using the scientific method, I heard a professor a couple of weeks ago talk about how, you know, we do alternative history in our show. And when I heard this, I was shocked and I wanted to do some research about it. So help me work through this. So he says that the U.S. was founded around the same time that slavery was abolished in England. And he connected that as saying that one of the reasons that the founding fathers broke away from England was because they wanted to keep slavery going. So how would I test his theory? Like, Where would I go to see if that's true or not? Well, I think you would go, and, and, and I don't know, that's not something I've never looked into. Uh, it doesn't sound familiar, so it's kind of new to me, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. What, what I would do is I would uh, go through all of the publications from the Founding Fathers' days. You know, things like the Federalist Papers, not just the Constitution, but the many larger volumes of, of searchable text that exist from those early days and start searching for keywords and see if indeed that was any part of their, of their thought process because you can believe they would have written about it. My, my expectation is um, that you'll probably find something because if there is a belief like that, it was probably started from some grain of truth. Uh, so you'll probably find that someone did mention the ending of slavery in, in England as, as a reason to, to come to the colonies. But I don't know. That, that would be an interesting, interesting project. You can go and say that the Masons had something to do with slavery in Europe or with the Egyptians and this and that. So that's the thing. Um, you and I talked about how there might be a, a kernel of truth in a lot of these uh, ideas, and then it develops into something else, and there's always an agenda, and there's always uh, either political or uh, ideological uh, thing to push. But um, in a world of, of freedom of speech, we talked already about that ideas have consequences, but what would you like to see out in, in the real world when it comes down to those things being put out there? Uh, is that is the job of journalists and thinkers to, to question these ideas, or is it just like um, sci-fi writing where people can just go on all kinds of rabbit trails? What is the response that we should have to these type of conspiracy theories? Uh, that's that's a really interesting question because I'm, you know, I don't necessarily immediately agree with the premise that something should be done about them. You know, this is a we live in a freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of ideas. Uh, as far as them being uh, taught as if they are real history, uh, then, you know, that comes down to educational standards. Uh, and I think we probably have, you know, a, a, certainly an imperfect but a better-than-nothing system in place for, for handling that. You know, anytime, anytime somebody tries to become the gatekeeper for ideas, that's very treacherous ground. It's, it's really problematic because clearly no one's going to agree with, with, with everything. And any two people who have conflicting belief systems and one of them is set up to be the gatekeeper for ideas, you're going to have conflict right away. I think the best way to fight misinformation is with better information and not necessarily trying to uh, ban it or silence it or anything like that. I mean, I get accused on my podcast all the time of 
not giving a voice to the alternate belief system or being some sort of a censor, as if somehow my putting out information affects their ability to put out misinformation. It doesn't at all. You know, more information, more good information, better science communication, more entertaining science communication. The TV networks have learned some time ago that it's really easy to be sensationalist and to get lots of eyeball share if they completely discard what's real and simply make up whatever sounds amazing. I think that's really unfortunate, but I also think they have every right to do that. And what I always work toward and what a lot of my colleagues are always working toward is trying to come up with good ideas for TV programs that are just as sensational and just as amazing and just as exciting and therefore just as commercial that people will want to broadcast, but that focus on good information. And that's not necessarily easy. So, you know, the, the people who promote rationality are always going to have an uphill battle because we're constrained by what's true and our opponents in promoting misinformation have no such constraints. So it's always going to be an uphill battle, and I don't anticipate going out of business anytime soon. I'm just very troubled with the 9-11 thing. Like, as, as much as um, I want to dismiss it and say, okay, well, there's just a couple of kooks out there who are trying to pin it on the, on the government, looking at the overall picture and not focusing on the minutiae related to it, what would be the strongest case to get people away from thinking that it was an inside job? Directly confronting their cherished belief is only going to produce conflict and argument, and it's not going to persuade anyone, because they did not arrive at their position through a rational analysis of the evidence. So there's no use giving them that. What I suggest instead is to find common ground, and by that I would suggest finding some topic that you can both agree on that is a, another science versus pseudoscience question or history versus pseudo-history question or economics versus pseudo-economics question, something where you can both agree. I've had that response more than any other from listeners to my show who say, I used to be a 9-11 conspiracy theorist until I started listening to Skeptoid. I really enjoyed it and then gradually I changed my views. 